Welcome everyone to the latest episode of the Noisecast. Uh, this episode is um, it's going to be a fun one. Uh, we got a lot in store uh, this week. We're going to talk about Google I/O and everything that happened last week. Uh, that Google announced everything that they promised, and you know we're going to take a couple bets and see uh, what actually gets released and what just was for show. Um, we're also going to talk about. Uh, the Avengers Infinity War. I know it, pretty much it's been a, a solid two and a half weeks, three weeks since the movie was uh, released. So yeah, we're going to spoil it for you if you haven't seen it. Um, if you don't want to listen to that, make sure to skip ahead and we're going to jump right into that. Paul, uh, and again, uh, Paul's here with us. Paul, sorry about that. Um, say hello to the people. Uh, hey everyone! Thanks for having me back, Alberto. It's always fun to discuss everything with you. Yeah, man, it's, it's always a good time. I'm really, really enjoying um, just what we've been doing these past couple months. Uh, it's you know, it's really getting a life of its own, and it's really nice and encouraging to see po- folks you know asking what's the next episode up. So, you know, th- <clears throat> thanks for all of that. Um, so we're gonna jump right into it, Paul. I did not catch uh, Avengers: Infinity War until the second week of its release, um, and managed to avoid most major spoilers. So I, I feel like there should be an award somewhere for that. You definitely deserve an award. I saw it the opening Thursday, and like the next day, some of my friends were posting these vague, some of those no context spoilers where you could still tell what was going on. Yeah. In it. It annoyed me to no end. Not not because it spoiled it for me, but because so much of it wasn't the the experience. Mm-hmm. And and had I went in kind of knowing even the idea of what was going to happen, I would have been, I wouldn't have had as much fun. Oh yeah, I I definitely um I definitely hear you um on that, and you know it's one of those things where. I really got to say that if you are new to the series, if you are new to the MCU in general, um, it's definitely one of those things where I feel um, just even the no context spoilers really ruined the the experience for you. But uh, that being said, I I really just got to get, I just got to get this off my chest. You, Thanos was right. Thanos was right. That's really all I got to say about that. I know everyone says, well, if you have the power to manipulate time and everything else, um, you could find a better way. No, you can't. Because unfortunately, that's not how, we, how we're designed. We're designed to want more and more and more. I'm not going to say anything about Thanos's thing, but if you look throughout history, overpopulation kind of has its own cure. Thanos could have took very much took a wait and see approach just because of the very nature that we're mortals. And anytime there's been overpopulation in the past, things have happened to kind of take us down a peg. There was actually a great video I watched about this. There's a channel called In a Nutshell, and they did a fantastic job kind of explaining how overpopulation can be a problem, but it ends up solving itself throughout history. Uh, yeah, I, I guess. No, I, I definitely see that. Um, there are some, um, there are some new challenges that we've created. So, you know, um, a, a couple of years ago, I remember, um, listening to 
the Star Talk podcast. Um, I'm, if you're not familiar, uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson did the Star Talk uh, podcast. I don't know if he's still doing it, but in either case, they talked to a. Um, I believe it was a geneticist, and they basically came to the conclusion that a hundred years ago, some of the illnesses that we found cures for would have essentially killed off a good portion of the population. And in return, what we've gotten are um, diseases that, I guess, um, later in life diseases that wouldn't have affected um, the, the populations because they essentially didn't get to grow old enough to have these these genetic issues are now getting these genetic issues. And our over-reliance on antibacterial soaps and things like that is actually creating superbugs. And it's only a matter of time until one is created that does a tremendous amount of damage. Oh, yeah, without a doubt. I mean, you know, just like just just very small things like um, the instances of uh, flu that that we're seeing now, the um, uh, even allergies, like the, the number of like, I guess, um, allergic reactions to pollen and things like things of that nature has definitely seen an increase. So, I mean, there, there's a lot, a lot of stuff going on. And if you talk about like, you know, will, um, you know, will, will everything kind of like self-regulate? I'm sure it will. But, you know, if you want to kind of help the process along, Thanos was right. I think that's a strong statement. If you wanted to, if you wanted to say Killmonger was right, I'm 100% on board with that. But Thanos being right, on the other hand, not so sure. Okay, fair. So, um, so just, I, I, I think um, one of the critiques that I read recently on uh, the Avengers Infinity War was that they felt it was a little too heavy-handed with the fan service. They felt... Uh, I think the New Yorker had a really good um, hot take, and by good I mean it, it elicited a reaction, not necessarily it was, that it was a, a well-written argument. Um, that was hotter than the sun. That's how hot that <laughs> take was. Um, yeah. So if you missed it, the New Yorker um, said that the uh, Avengers: Infinity War movie was um, a two and a half hour advertisement for all the movies that came before it um which truthfully i can see what they're saying because the movie did the movie was for fans of the mcu had someone went in and only seen like one or two mcu movies they would have been lost but the new yorker took the side that that was a bad thing Whereas I took the side that that was fantastic and that was the way it always needed to be. We did not do needed to be reintroduced to these characters. Had that happened, the movie would have been terrible. Oh yeah, absolutely. I totally agree. I, I like the fact that although um, there were a lot of callbacks to um, earlier movies, uh, the movie on its own, it, it stands on its own, right? You know, there was definitely, um, if it fell with the three... Um, the three-act structure. Um, and, the and, it did and the movie made... Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. I'm just going to say the movie did made the right call in making Thanos the main character as opposed to the heroes we know and love. Thanos was basically the protagonist of Infinity War, and that was the only way it would have worked. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, again, uh, going back to um, what I mentioned about structure, you know, that's absolutely... Um, 
you know, why it worked. Because uh, by making Thanos your protagonist, by making him the main character of the film, as opposed to um, any one of the Avengers, it gives the it, it gives the audience something that they can something to to anchor them into the universe, right? Um, so um, they're they're. I think the way that everything kind of like became interwoven um, was a lot of fun to watch. Um, it definitely felt like a comic book on film. Um, and while some people have their, you know what? It, it did what Zack Snyder tries to do, but it did it well. It did it fantastically well because it still had those moments that felt fresh from the comic book page. Like when Thor visits that world with Peter Dinklage, that felt straight out of a comic book. Oh, yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. Uh, when there was all these grand cinematic moments that you could see in a comic book. It, it, didn't, it didn't try to be something it wasn't. It knew it was a comic book movie, and it owned that fact. Oh, yeah. I, I think um, that's actually one of the things that uh, the MCU has done very well. I, I think they're, they're unapologetic of the fact that their universe is based on, you know, it doesn't get any more fantasy driven than a comic book, right? Um, it doesn't shy away from the bright colors of its source material. Um, it doesn't try to, like, you know, tone everything down or, or cover it in a, in a sepia type of... Um, you know, filter above the, uh, you know, ab above the final product. I think it relishes in the fact that um, the characters are very much, you know, not to sound uh, cliche, but they are very much larger than life. Um, they are super, super um, animated in the sense that, um, you know, like uh, Star-Lord, for example, you know, like everyone, one of the big critiques was, you know, how did from, you know, the end of Guardians of the Galaxy 2 to um, Avengers Infinity War did, you know, Peter Quill and Gamora develop, you know, that kind of deep um, uh, relationship. Um, and the truth of the matter is that, you know, I, I think, you know, we're, we're kind of like, we're, we're picking at this point. We're trying to find something wrong with the film. Um, it, it just worked. Um, you know, did it mean that it was a stupid way for us to drive the plot forward with, you know, um, you know, being this close to pulling the Infinity Gauntlet from Thanos's hand to, you know, essentially allowing him to win. Yeah, but... I, I, I hate that critique, though. Because that critique of pulling the Infinity Gauntlet off of his hand and then depowering him ignores the entire opening act of the movie. Yeah. Thanos, Thanos is a dude that beat the Incredible Hulk. He made the Hulk look like a chump. And he didn't even have. He didn't even use the Infinity Stones. Right, right. And so, had, had they took the Infinity Gauntlet off his hand, he would be like, "Okay, well, I'm just gonna kill you this way then." Yeah, and I think that's the, the that's the part that's lost if you are coming into it blind, right? So if you if um, Infinity War was the first Mar Marvel movie that you saw, um, you're probably gonna say, "Well, that doesn't make sense. You know, this could have been over. Snatch, snatch the glove, and you know, movie's over." Um, but coming from the comic books, you you know you know that you know Thanos has a, a long history of leaving a bunch of you know overpowered superheroes in his wake, you know, killing them by even, any means. Even without the gauntlet, like he's he's intelligent, he's psychotic, <laughs> and he's incredibly strong. 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, one thing that kind of hurt me just kind of seeing it, especially because, um, you know, coming off of this movie and then just kind of seeing the destruction um, in the very next movie after it, um, just kind of seeing the, the, the death of uh, King T'Challa. I, I, that, I didn't expect it to hit me like that, but it did. And I was just like, wow, I, I you know, that is, I, I really thought that, uh, that uh, what was it, uh, Okoye was going to be the one to, to, you know, like fall, but, and then they switched it and it's, it's uh, Black Panther. Yeah, that, that, that got me. Well, I think it's kind of beautiful and poetic the way they did it, because a note, the ones still alive are the original Avengers. You got Hulk, you got Captain America, you got most of the original Avengers. And as Tony said in Avengers 1, if we can't save the world, you'll be damn sure we'll avenge it. Mm, true. So that's what, that's what we're going to get to see them do at this point. And it raises the stakes even more, because at this point, we're aware that at least someone's gone after part two. Whereas the ones that were left are actually coming back. So it kind of makes it clear that this is the end of an era. Yeah. You know, I, I'm curious about that. So um, we made some predictions uh, on our last ep- episode. Um, you know, I for sure thought that Captain America, like, you know, um, dies at the end of this movie. I was wrong. I for, I for sure bet that, actually. I bet I put my entire paycheck on it next movie. <laughs> Captain America has lost his place in the world cinematically. I actually talked about this on my podcast a little bit. The fact that it makes the most sense thematically for Captain America to be one of the ones to pass. It is no longer no longer his world. He is a relic of the past. So it's perfect for him to be perfect thematically for him to be the one that bites the bullet, bites the dust. Yeah. Yeah, I you know, I I really thought that um I kind of felt that that you know, Spider-Man was going to go. Um, I, I don't think people were, were really expecting um, to see essentially the death of like what's supposed to be a 16, 17-year-old kid go. Um, but I, that, oddly enough, it, it, it seemed in line with what, what they were setting up. Um, but yeah, I, I didn't think about it, but you're absolutely right. The original Avengers are the only ones that are left. Yeah, I've thought about this movie way too much over the past three weeks. Yeah, um, it, it's it's definitely going to continue to. Um, uh, it's definitely going to be one that people are going to keep going back to. And um, it, at this point, if you haven't seen it, you know, and you stuck around and listened to it, you should definitely go and check it out. Um, and to be honest, it's not much going on in the movie theaters anyway. So, well, Deadpool's coming out. You going to check that out, Paul? I am. I already have tickets, and I already have tickets for Solo, and then I have tickets for Incredibles 2. Oh, nice, nice. I'm Out of the three movies you just mentioned, I'm probably most interested in Incredibles 2. I, I am, too, just because it's been such a long wait. I'm, 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 curi- I'm, I'm, I'm genuinely curious to see how, you know, how it holds up. You know, it's, it's very much a very different Pixar now. So, you know, just curious to see... Uh, what they're doing with, um, you know, with the story and to see how they can drive it forward. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm really curious too. I'm curious to see if it's worth the wait because everybody's talked about wanting The Incredibles 2 for years now. Oh, yeah. And now we're finally getting it. So I'm curious how the expectation, 
curious how fans are going to be with their expectations. Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, out of curiosity, um, out of curiosity, um, what do you know? Do you think that um, so now they're all kind of like in the same, um, yeah, I guess, parent company, you know, Pixar, Disney, and Marvel are all kind of you think there are going to be any call outs or, or callbacks to uh, themes we've seen in the MCU? Frankly, I kind of hope not. That would feel way too fan servicey for me. Like, if it works narratively, then maybe. But I don't want to end there just as kind of a nod or anything like that. Yeah, well, you know, like, the the first one kind of, like, made hints to, like, um, comic book material. Um, you know, obviously, because, you know, it's like the, the whole, the family of super-powered um, heroes or whatever. But, you know, it's it'd be interesting to see how they would approach that given that they now have, I wouldn't say they have access to, um, but I guess they have license to in a different, uh, in a very different context. So that'd be interesting to see um, if they even choose to, you know, to brush on it. Yeah. As I said, I stand by my statement. I do, I do hope not. The Pixar movies have always done a very good job, not not threading the line with way too much fan service or anything like that. And I, I don't want The Incredibles 2 to disappoint me. The Incredibles is one of my favorite movies ever. <clears throat> okay, okay. Fair, fair. So, you know, um, we're going to just kind of transition off of that not disappointing and jump straight into Google I.O. Because I think if you are one of those folks who... Uh, loves Android, who loves a lot of what uh, Google offers, this year's I.O. was pretty much, you know, a a slam dunk. Would you agree? No, I would definitely agree. I'm excited to see. They're they're putting all their eggs in the artificial intelligence basket, and you can can really see that with duplex, with all the photo, with all the photo technology. Mm -hmm. Google Photos is probably the best reason to have an Android phone, even. Yeah, I, I think so. I think, um, you know, what what, and, what Android, what Google has done um, just extremely well since, you know, especially over the last, I'd say, four to five years is really marry Android into the entire, you know, G suite of, of services. You know, um, the Android phones have become essentially a gateway into getting people hooked onto Google services. And in return, the more people have used them has allowed Google to build, you know, the, the kind of infrastructure that's needed to create AI in, at, the, at the level that they're looking to, um, to push. So uh, if you don't mind, because I know this is more up your alley, um, you know, just kind of give us a, a quick rundown of, of um, Duplex. Well, Duplex is looking to kind of, to me, it feels like it's trying to take the job of traditional receptionist. Because in the demo, we saw Google Duplex, which is the a new text-to-speech Google is working on, place an appointment for a customer, a hair appointment for a customer. And it did it seamlessly. And, and one can think of so many other possibilities Duplex could do it especially with the natural language that they had. While watching the demo, I was... A couple times, I, did, I only realized it was a robot speaking a couple times. That language is incredibly natural. And I can see many use cases for this. 
Yeah, there there's definitely um there's definitely that part. You know, like there's it's definitely going to make the, um certain tasks a lot easier. Like um just thinking about it from a a user standpoint, um you know, how many times do we you know, do we have to interact with some sort of um whether it's, you know, making reservations, creating an appointment, um for example, like I I have to call um my uh the 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 rent office um sometime this week i'm kind of procrastinating because i realized that they're going to put me on hold for 20 minutes i'm going to be transferred around two or three times and then by the time i need to speak to the person i need to speak to it's really a five minute call and i had to call the my 401k the other day i had to call merrill lynch about something like that and to get to actually where i could speak to an operator I think I had to press like one and four and seven on my phone probably five or six different times. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, just if you think about it from um, kind of like uh, an individual's use of, of something like um, duplex, you know, that would kind of be it. Right. Um, you know, remove yourself from some of these uh, like automated time sucks and just kind of, you know, set it, have it do all the heavy lifting and then. You know, you just be there to collect, you know, your appointment or uh, your registration or, you know, whatever it is that you're trying to do. Um, that said, um, there were some issues that came up. Um, unfortunately, no one bothered to ask immediately after the presentation. And there's, you know, the ethics debate about that. So, you know, aside from the potential to eliminate, a, you know, quite a number of service jobs, you know, as it is. Um, you know, the U.S. economy is more and more reliant on these types of service industry jobs. Um, you know, people who are going to do the cold calling and people who are going to be receptionists. Um, you know, if you can set something like um, Google Duplex on scale, um, you know, is there a possibility that all these jobs go away? You know, we're not talking about you know, tens of thousands, we're talking about possibly millions of jobs that get that are lost. Well, there's always that possibility mm -hmm. when new technology rolls out. And of course, businesses are going to do everything they can to cut cost. But it all comes down to the implement the implementation and the cost of executing it. Because there's no reason like McDonald's or Wendy's and all that couldn't replace their current cashiers with the touchscreen kiosk and all that. Well, you know, it's funny. I don't know about um, um, in Atlanta, but definitely in, in New York City, a lot of restaurants, um, a lot of, well, McDonald's restaurants have actually um, replaced the, the typical cashiers with um, the kiosk. I actually did not know that. Yeah. I, I have <clears throat> never seen in, in a, the Atlanta area and the areas I frequent, I have never seen a McDonald's with that. Yeah, no, it's, um, um, the first one was the... Uh, quote-unquote flagship uh, restaurant in Times Square. Uh, they completely... And basically, it was in response to uh, the Fight for 15 movement that uh, got a lot of political steam here in New York City. Um, you know, uh, $15 an hour um, uh, minimum wage is going to be the law of the land starting in 2020. Um, and shortly after the law was passed, McDonald's got rid of uh, cashiers and put up kiosks. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, you know, um, so sometimes you don't even need technology 
to um, replace your your workforce. All you need is to be forced to pay them uh, a livable wage in the city that they're that you're in. Screw McDonald's. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. But you know, the other the flip side to that is, um, you know, one of the things that they did not demo, which uh, they kind of backpedaled on um, in a later. I want to say the Verge covered it. I know for a fact it was in um, in Recode. Um, but someone at Google said, oh, um, yeah, the, the robot thing is cool. And yeah, we realized it freaked out some people because they couldn't tell the difference between a human and our uh, AI voice, voice assistant. So we're going to, you know, make sure we announce that it's a voice assistant uh, to the, whoever is on the receiving end of that call. Yeah, without doing that, there could be some serious ethics issues, especially if you think you're, you're talking to a person with its ability to replicate natural speech. And have natural conversations. I, I could definitely see some uh, use cases where people get misled. Yeah, it's definitely something that you know. Um, it, it's funny because the as I've gotten older, one of the things that I, I think about more is like the ethics in, in uh, a lot of the t- technology that we we use, and you know, we even want like I want to see more more AI. I, I definitely want us to. Um, be able to, you know, like say for things like um, medical imaging, you know, AI can probably spot uh, anomalies better than the human eye can. Um, just has to learn, right? Um, so, you know, in in situations like that, yeah, absolutely. Let's, you know, let's build out this type of technology. Let's get it out there and into the real world and and get it in use. The flip side to that is, you know, when you talk about things like, you know, oh, I'm going to have Google uh, schedule my doctor's appointment, you know, yeah, I, I think I would want the person at the doctor's office to know that this is kind of an automated call. I, I definitely would as well, just because I can see be on the, on the receiving end of one of those calls and its ability to uh, quickly take the information given yeah and doing kind of doing some kind of having some nefarious things happened yeah i mean you know like if you think about it one of the most common um you know quote-unquote hacking methods is social engineering and right now that requires you know a human being being on the other end of that what happens when you know you can create like a a small enough botnet where you can you know do this a hundred times for each call yeah, you you could easily call tens of thousands of places without a lot of human interaction, and all it would take. I mean, and most people would be aware enough not to give that information, but all it takes is one or two, and they've compromised a lot of systems. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, and again, like um, when I worked for uh, a very very large, too big to fail bank, um, you know, some of the you know, the people in the highest positions were very, very susceptible to basic social engineering um, methods, whether it was phishing emails or someone cold calling, you know, various different lines. You know, it's sad, but, you know, just it lacked the sophistication that you could, you know, potentially program into uh, an AI bot. But the other thing that Google announced a few years ago that we still haven't seen the fruits of, I was talking about the photos thing a minute ago, was the ability to remove the obstructions from the photo. Do you, do you remember that? Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, right now, like for folks who 
are um, big, you know, Photoshop and, and Lightroom users, you know, you can kind of sort of do that um, with like, you know, content aware uh, erase and content aware fill. Um, you know, I, I imagine that that's kind of, it's, it's basically that just, um, you know, to like an nth degree because they made it appear like it wasn't just a matter of cloning the background. It, it, they found a way to kind of even meld into the, um, to the subject. So that was kind of interesting. Um, and yeah, you're right. We haven't seen it yet. It's been, it's been at least two years now. It's, I think it has. It just goes to show that Google always kind of talks about these products at their IOs, kind of shows them off, but sometimes they're, I think they're just showing off, like, hey, look what we can do. Yeah. And it's still a long, long way from being rolled out to a consumer. Yeah, um, definitely. And if, if you think about it, uh, the tech space has always kind of had that. Um, if you recall... Um, you know, Microsoft was uh, was in the early 2000s. Microsoft was constantly getting beat up for um, announcing vaporware. You know, do you remember the um, um, before the Surface? They had that uh, the Courier tablet, which was supposed yeah, to be the the folding two touchscreen tablet. I still remember watching the demo for that and being like blown away. Yeah, and you know what happened? Like nothing. Like, you know, one year came by, it was just like, oh, we'll have this out soon. And soon turned into a year, a year turned into two. And yeah, we're, we're still waiting on the courier. Do you think, do you think we're going to see a consumer-facing version of Duplex? Um, it depends. I think if Google continues to get more heat um, about the ethics of something like Duplex, I, I think it, it goes by the wayside. Um, mostly because, um, you know, Web 3.0 companies don't seem to handle um, ethics or um, regulation very well. You know, like, you know, we talked about Facebook um, just an episode or two ago and how Cambridge Analytica basically made them rethink how they even serve up ads. You know, it, it's... It's something that um, right now a lot of these companies, Google, um, Facebook, um, to a lesser extent, Twitter, you know, they, they just don't seem to, like, they need to take a, a, um, a basic college ethics course, I think. You know, they need a refresher. I think it's just they get to a certain point. It's, it becomes, they get so wrapped up in their technology they just don't think about the ethical ramifications. Yeah, and you know, and I think that's also it, it says a lot about the um, the the tech journalism journalism world because you know, on the one hand, like the technology is amazing; it's great to talk about it. You know, we should uh, continue to like push the envelope wherever we can. But at the end of the day, we have to remember that technology is affects the user. And the user is a you know flesh and bone human being, you know, and um, you know some of the things that we think are pretty cool for convenience sake may have you know um, you you know what it is I guess like I'm cynical I automatically think about how you can use this technology to cause harm to another person. 
I don't think that's necessarily cynicism. I do think that's realism to a degree because unfortunately, the, there are always bad actors. Uh, like yeah, there are always people. Ch- I wish it wasn't the case, but I work retail. I see a lot of people. And yeah, most people are pretty good. Most people are honest. But some people would would rob your shirt off your back if they could. Yeah. And, and, we'll, and, I, and we'll find any loophole, any any minor warden of the rules and find a way to do it legally. Yeah. And I think this is one of those situations where, you know, I, I definitely, you know, I definitely want AI to continue to grow. I definitely want us to have better AI. You know, um, a year ago, Microsoft tried to have a, a AI um, algorithm tweet, you know, and learn how to tweet like a human being. And it didn't take long. I think it took like maybe a day before it started spewing out um, racist rants. You know, so we definitely need to improve that. Um, we need to get to a point where, um, you know, we can have things like duplex where it can be conversational um but at the same time there there has to be an understanding of what this finished product is going to um bring bring into the world and not just you know hey it saved me some time or um it's beneficial for a company to be able to you know not hire a call center you know um it has to do more than that and that's just you know my personal take on on all technology, not not just Google or anything else. You know, I think at the end of the day, um, you know, we can balance, you know, the ethical issues with the convenience that it offers us. But I do think it's inevitable we'll see something like Duplex just because Google's ease of data gathering the, and the, how big they are, they're going to use the data they've gathered. Oh, for sure. Like all, like all the... All the okay Google responses and stuff, Google's obviously using that to um, learn the way humans talk, learn the pauses, learn every nuance of speech where they can replicate it. We may see, uh, we may only see a uh, enterprise version of something like Duplex, Mm -hmm. but I do think it's inevitable that we see something like Duplex. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I strong, you know, I would imagine that it would probably be more so on the enterprise side. Um, you know, and to your point, you know, uh, when I'm driving, you know, I'll, I'll, Hey Siri, you know, you know, whenever I need to do anything from, um, you know, getting directions to changing the song that I'm listening to, you know, so has has Siri gotten any yet less useless? I know it used to be pretty bad. It, it, um, I will say that objectively, yes, it's bad, but it is true. The more you use it, the better it gets. So, you know, like, that's the caveat, right? Like, if it's really bad, most people will be like, oh, I'm not using it anymore. Um, but, you know, both my car, well, my car only does, um, uh, what was it? I forget what the... Apple CarPlay? Yeah, CarPlay. Yeah, and it was a stupid name. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, um, yeah, it, does, it only does Apple CarPlay. Um, and obviously I have an iPhone, so, you know, I won't necessarily be using the Google assistant. Um, and I don't think I can actually, I haven't checked it in a while. Like, I don't think you can do all the voice commands. Um, I think you can do some, or you have to have the app open in order to do it. Oh, okay. Yeah. But, um, but in either case, you know, so that kind of means by default, I'm, I'm using, you know, Apple's Siri. 
and, and again, it's, you know, it's bad, but it really is serviceable, especially because, you know, I'm mostly doing very simple things like um, I might respond to a text if it's important, like if my wife's trying to get a hold of me, you know, I'll be like, hey, you know, hey, Siri, send a text to, uh, to, to my wife and it'll pop up. I'll be able to like very naturally, um, you know, send a text and it's a non-issue. Simple commands, you know. Um, the only thing where I notice that Siri really stumbles is um, the knowledge base. So like if, you know, I were to say, um, I'm trying to think of one. Like I, I believe a recent one was something along the lines of <clears throat> um, like, you know, who is Thanos or something like that. I, I'm 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 making that up right now, but it was something along those lines where it was something that you could easily like call out from like Wikipedia or something, and rather than you know read out the response, it said you know here's a bunch of places that you can go look for it yourself online. So you know I know Google uh, Google Home doesn't have that issue. Um, Alexa is actually getting a lot better. Um, I am I am blown away by the ease of using my Google Home. I like have three in my house. Yeah, I you know I I I've purposely like shied away from it just because I um I'm a little bit paranoid and I'm like I don't think I want any more things listening to what I'm saying. Well, I've kind of accepted that that's everything's listening to me already, and I I, I know that's the defeatist, but it's the <laughs> truth. I, I, it's just how I feel about it. Like my TV has the mic built in. I have my phone with in my pocket at all times. I'm brown. There's no chance the NSA is not listening to me. Yeah, no. <laughs> no. <laughs> Excuse me. Oh, man. I'm choking here. Um, that's me and my allergies actually, like, having the worst possible time. Um, but, yeah, no, I, I totally hear you. Um, to that, to an extent, I feel like, yes, you know, it doesn't make, it doesn't make a difference. You use Google every day. You know, you're on Twitter. You're on Facebook. Um, you know, Big Brother's watching you no matter what, and I've long crossed that threshold where, you know, I should be like, oh, you know, I don't want to give any more of my, my private data away. Um, but I don't know. I, like, for me, this is just, like, the one thing I'm, I'm hanging on to. So I'm going to be a knuckle-dragger for the rest of my life in that respect. I don't really know that that's a knuckle-dragger. Truthfully, as much as I like my home assistant, it really serves no purpose. Like, I just, I just ask it random things sometimes. Just because... You just want to make sure it's it's still working. It's yeah. like, hey, like I use my ninety percent of the time just while I'm cleaning the house. It's a super easy network of music all through my house. It's really cool. Yeah, I mean, you know, honestly, it, it's a um, it's a cheaper version of Sonos, right? Yeah. Like, you know, instead of paying uh, three hundred for one speaker, two hundred for the connecting dock, and then another hundred fifty for smaller speakers. You could just, you know, get a get a Google Home and a Google Home Mini, and you're pretty much set. But speaking of the music from Google, I'm actually I was there was an announcement at I/O. There was some talk about uh, Google rolling out or Google kind of fixing their music service, and I'm disappointed we didn't actually see that. You know, um, if there's one thing that Google absolutely needs to um really jump on is fixing their music service because uh google play music sucks it does i mean i use it all the time i use it on my dog walks but if it did not have 
I mainly stick with it instead of Spotify because I get YouTube Red. If I did not get YouTube Red, I would have switched to Spotify a long time ago. Yeah, I'm I'm on Spotify on a family plan because, you know, $5 a month when you think about it. Yeah, I just I just like my ad for YouTube. Yeah, see, you know, like like these are the things like, you know, if I I think if I was more active on YouTube or if I use YouTube more frequently, I probably would be like, you know what, 10 bucks is a small price to pay. But there was talk of them rolling out a new service called YouTube Remix, where they kind of combined their YouTube and their Google Play Music to create playlists and everything. Mm-hmm. And it sounded cool, based on what I read about it. And I was excited, just because Google Play Music has been stagnant for years now. But yeah, it's, you know, it's one of, those, one of those things where, you know, again, it's, it's what we've we discussed earlier, where, you know, there's... Can we call it vaporware? I, I don't know if it's really vaporware if it's if we're talking about software. Well, vaporware. I'm, not ex- I'm not expecting it to be vaporware. Google sometimes, instead of announcing things at the most opportune moment, <clears throat> there'll probably just be some random Wednesday in a couple months where they're like, hey, we have this new service. Yeah, and you know what? I, I think that kind of... It's weird. It, it's, um, it's almost as if Google has... Um, it likes talking about what it's working on, but it doesn't like promoting the things it finished. It does not. Google's always had that fragmentation problem because th- there was Google TV, there was Android TV, and then they have the Chromecast too. Yeah, like, yeah. It's like everything. You know, you know what it is. It's. Um, do you remember how long uh, Gmail was in beta? Like, they rolled out their enterprise version of Gmail while it was still in beta. Like, Gmail was still in beta. I actually did not know that. I, I guess I never paid attention to the little beta symbol. How long yeah. was it in beta? Um, I think up until... Uh, and I might be wrong, but I believe it was not until 2013 that they, they moved it from beta. Oh, wow. Yeah, I, you know what? I'm very curious. Um, so, according to the Wikipedia, uh, the beta release was April 1st, 2004. Um, oh, see, so they said, officially, they, they took it out... Um, they took it out of testing on July 7th, 2009... But it was still technically a, a beta version through 2011. Wow. Yeah, so for nearly 10 years, Gmail, that became the de facto um, email service, sat in beta. That kind of just speaks as to their mindset because all the things they've tried. Yeah, I mean, don't get me wrong. Like, I love the fact that they're willing to try anything you know like that's you know that type of curiosity is really what drives technology forward um but i'm gonna need them to kind of step it up you know and you know give some sort of seal of approval and warranty behind some of the services that they have but one of the things that most excites me about google and their data their efficient data gathering is the prospect of self-driving cars oh yes yeah, you know what? We definitely need Google to jump on that. 
just well they've already have waymo and it just it makes sense for them to be the ones in the forefront of the self-driving cars everybody and their mother uses maps so they're, <laughs> so they're constantly getting that self-driving that self-driving data as well as the street view cars and the street view backpacks and the street views everything's <laughs> yeah you, you know um I think there's definitely needs to be some sort of standard, um, especially when we're talking about self-driving cars. And, you know, this kind of goes back to um, some, you know, some of the, the stuff we touched on earlier where, um, you know, technology companies really have a problem when it comes to self-regulating and governance. Um, and, you know, since you brought it up, um, it, it looks like, the investigation into the um, uh, the crash in Arizona with the the Uber car that killed a woman. Yeah, Uber basically admitted that the car saw the pedestrian. It just decided it didn't care and hit her anyway. Yeah, and that is that is terrible. You know that uh, for so many reasons, right? Uh, one of the biggest, you know, I think one of the reasons why they were even allowed to roll out their pilot program was because, you know, they sold this idea that um, the self-driving cars, you know, have the primary directive to not harm people, and this basically flew in the face of that. Um, you know, and part of the problem is that. Uber is doing their own thing. Tesla has their own self-driving software. You know, like you mentioned before, you know, Google Google's running with with Waymo. Um, for the longest time now, there there's been talk about Apple getting into the self-driving um, car business. Um, I'm sure Lyft is probably working on their own self-driving car. It, it's you know, it, it's way too fragmented. And in this particular case. You know, this isn't a matter of me getting the latest firmware, you know, in a timely manner. This is a matter of keeping, you know, pedestrians alive. And, of course, it doesn't surprise me that it's Uber that drops the ball on that anyway. Uber is a garbage company. <laughs> you will not hear any, any, um, any rebuttal from me, sir. Um, I will totally agree with you on that. And, it, and you... Well, it partly infuriates me because, again, Uber is a garbage company. And I think by doing this, they potentially set back public perception of self-driving cars back years. Uh, you know what? I, I, I'm gonna, I, I agree to an extent. I think people are going to say, you know, self-driving cars are not. I think it's going to really the people who are going to say no to self-driving cars are going to be um you know, the government, essentially. It's going to be, I don't know if it's going to be on a national level, but definitely I don't think the people of uh, Tempe, Arizona are going to, you know, jump up and down and invite, you know, the next round of self-driving cars on their, on their roads. Um, I think individuals will demand it. Um, and again, it, it comes from, you know, a, a point of economics, right? So I, I disagree. Like, I, I strongly disagree. You strongly disagree? I do. I, I'll, I'll put it to you like this. Um, in New York City, we have, a, a, you know, everyone says, oh, we have a 24-hour tra um, public transportation system. Yes and no. Um, if, you know, you've followed along on Twitter, you've probably seen, you know, like um, these horrible, horrible 
like images of people stranded in in train stations like you know thousands of like you know hundreds of people thousands of people looking like sardines you know um perilously dangling off the sides of the platforms and you know with no train in sight um you know people complaining about hours long wait you know for for trains on off hours off peak hours um and it's not getting any better you know the the infrastructure is crumbling um and people still need to get to work on time and you know for better or worse uber has been able to kind of fill that that gap um in the outer boroughs where you know you know the outer boroughs have always kind of played second fiddle to manhattan and so you know if if you need to get around sometimes uber is really the only way that you, you're you're going to do that well uber and lyft and well, the other ride hailing services so you know it, there there's going to be a, a a breaking point and i think places like new york have already experienced it and they're going to be more so willing to chance it um if it means that it gets them from point a to point b um in a timely fashion i definitely see that from an individualistic standpoint that everybody thinking about how they're going to get to work but you was talking about how google duplex could open in the markets if we got self-driving cars that would truly truly shift everything in the u.s because cars are Cars control an industry basically. Like you have the you have all the taxis that employ countless people. You have the truck driving industry, of course. Uh, you mm-hmm. have. Uh, I, even- I, you know what I I you know now that you put it like that, I think w- what we'll see is we're gonna see um, fleet vehicles. You know, like um, like every every police department, you know, picks you know one one make and one model to be that police department's official vehicle. I think it'll be the same thing. It'll be like, um, you know, like Ford might become the official car of Atlanta type of deal. I'm actually, I've always been excited for the prospect of self-driving cars, truthfully, just because the idea of not having to own a car. Yeah, and that's what it comes down to, right? So there are places where, um, you, you know, people need a car, but don't necessarily need a car note. And, you know, something like this would would kind of fill that gap. But it's just, I think, as you said, I think the government would is going to put a stop to self-driving cars for the foreseeable future just because of their constituents. They're going to, especially in places where the trucking industry is uh, prevalent. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, that that's always, you know, that seems to be the, the, the big hindrance lately. Um, <clears throat> there seems to be a disconnect between um, what I feel individuals are asking for and what the government is prepared to do and or what the government understands. And I think, you know, especially when we talk about technology, it's they're really out of their depth. And, they're, and for the most part, I don't see, um, especially in Congress, I don't see um, senators really trying to um, get up to speed. You know, I, I think they're comfortable with the way things were and are trying to kind of go back to it versus admitting that there are some fundamental differences with the way um, people interact with technology and the way technology impacts people. 
Speaking of Congress, though, and the technological <coughs> shift, it's going to be interesting to see in a couple of decades when the people yours and my age are the people that are in control and the boomers are gone. Yeah. Um, um, hmm. You know what? Like, I, I hope that we're more even keeled than uh, the folks that are in charge now. Um, well, as much as I want to say we're going to do a great job, I can also see us, like, really doing some dumb shit. Well, the issue just becomes the age, too. As a person ages, I've noticed this even in my 30s, I become more set in my ways. Oh, yeah. No, I mean, you know, what it is is, is I think, um, you know, by our very natures, we tend to um, just kind of want things to not change, right? We, we like what we like, and we don't ever want to stop liking it. So it's kind of like, well, it worked, and it works for now, and um, I like the way this works, and I don't want to ever have this change because it fits my life now. So, and, and I think, you know, that's, that's the thing that we always have to be wary of. But at the same time, you know, we can't just, like, say, hey, you know what, Uber, you just ran, ran over this woman, and um, she's dead now, but we're going to keep letting you do what you want to do. Like, I, I don't think that's necessarily the, the right option either. Has Uber seen any, what kind of consequences has Uber seen from the uh, fiasco? Uh, well, right now, the main thing is that um, it's, it's essentially been, they've been told to suspend their um, self-driving uh, car initiatives. So they're no, they're essentially grounded. Uh, what I didn't know is that the governing body of the uh, self-driving cars is the NTSB. Um, and for those that don't know that you know that that um, alphabet soup um, department of the government um, is mostly um, is mostly uh, called upon when planes go down. So I found that very interesting. I didn't, I didn't realize that. And that's actually something that I, I really want to learn a little bit more about. But um, to answer your question, um, not much. Um, I'm, I'm pretty sure that the family of the woman is going to sue the hell out of Uber. Um, but again, you know, we're, we're, we're running into like some serious problems because, you know, clearly Uber is the company that is funding the self-driving car um and again we have this really really vague um you know gray area where is that driver an employee of uber or was he one of these partner drivers who said oh i got a a car that's going to drive itself and all i got to do is sit here well that still opens that's does a good job illustrating the illustrating the liability issues that can arise from self-driving cars too, which I think is another thing that could potentially hold back the technology. Oh yeah, without a doubt. Um, you know, it, it's really one of those things where, um, you know, it's it's unfortunate because these are the things that that need to get sorted out before we have self-driving cars on on every road and every highway, right? Um, because when something goes wrong. You want to know who's the who's the party to be held responsible. Is it the operator? Is it the car manufacturer? Is it uh, the you know the software company that runs the navigation system? 
you know, these are all going to be questions that are going to have to be answered and they have to be answered before, you know, unfortunately the next person dies. And the truth is that, you know, as many people as there are on the street, as many cars as there are on the road, you know, it's inevitable that you're going to have another accident at some point or another. Yeah, and that's kind of the whole scary thing to think about too is because I do think the technology has the potential to save a lot of lives just because the amount of people that die in car accidents each day, that number could be reduced to basically zero. And yeah, yeah. I, I mean, you know, like it, it's funny because, you know, um, outside of, you know, um, people who, who really um, follow tech news and outside of people who are um, really big into the automation space, not much was made out of, you know, this woman dying, you know, it was just like, oh, and in other news, you know, a woman in Arizona was hit by a self-driving Uber vehicle and she died and they moved on to the next story, you know, but, you know, just, just from a logistics standpoint, you know, we have to figure out a lot of things, you know, before um, self-driving cars can move forward. And I hope that these are the questions that, um, you know, the the federal government chooses to ask rather than just saying, oh, having a blanket. Well, you know what? No self-driving cars for anyone. They're too dangerous. Like, I don't think that that's the approach um, because it doesn't really answer any of the questions. And, you know, this is a, a situation where you can start making um, policy that will have positive effects for both um, the consumer and for the industries that are going to be pushing this technology. But what else do you want to talk about this evening? Um, you know what? At this point, I think we've, we've kind of um, gone through the whole list. So I'm not going to belabor the point anymore. And I realize that maybe my allergies got me uh, being a little grumpy and very like, you know, oh, I don't want to. Like, ah, shake my fist at you kids with your technology and your self-driving cars. Um, it, de it definitely sounds like your allergies are kicking your butt this evening. Yeah, it's it's not been a fun time for me. But you know what? Um, I'm always happy that I'm able to uh, run my mouth with you, Paul. It's always a fun time. And I really do appreciate you coming on. Uh, yeah, go ahead. Sorry. Well, I just can't wait to do it again. I always love discussion technology, implications of technology, and ranting about giant corporations with you. Yeah, it's always a good time, man. I, I really appreciate you, you know, just having, you know, um, just a positive outlook on everything. And Paul, um, before we get out of here, I'm just going to ask you, uh, let the people know where they can find you. Well, I'm on Twitter.com at uh, at Combs Paul and at CNC Geekcast. Uh, make sure you follow the CNC Geekcast and the Noisecast. Keep up with everything we do. Nice. Yeah, um, and you can find me uh, at AL underscore WRITE on Twitter. Um, and you can follow us at, at Noisecast on Twitter and at The Noisecast on Facebook. Um, Again, thank you all for listening and apologies for um, all this congestion that you all are hearing. Hopefully the next time we get on, um, I get on this microphone, the um, trees have stopped trying to kill me. Or if they won, you know, you won't catch me on the next one. Paul, you'll have to do it on your own. Oh, no. <laughs> all right. Thanks for listening, everybody. Peace.